welcome back to another episode of the Listen In Podcast, the only music podcast by music listeners for music listeners. That's the new tagline. I'm just, I'm running with it. Yeah, you just got to stick with it. I'm running with it. Truth be damned. Yeah. because it's true or not? And it's not. You can't prove it. You you could, but we're just going to hope that no one will use the effort to prove that we're not... In fact, that. Anyways, yeah, we are a music podcast. We discuss music on here. Uh, episode eighty-four, Jake. Moving right along. Moving yeah. right along. It's it's uh and and episode eighty-four, um, nineteen eighty-four. Mm-hmm. Sean and music. Mm-hmm. What do we got? So here's some good ones. The aptly named nineteen eighty-four by Van Halen. Ah. Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Double nickels on the dime by the Minutemen. Purple Rain by Prince. The Unforgettable Fire by U2. Let me see if I can find a couple more interesting ones. We got Hatful of Hollow by the Smiths. Mm. We got Meat Puppets 2. That would influence some 90s stuff with uh, Nirvana. And Let It Be by The Replacements. Very nice. Let It Be. I love that album. Yeah. It's the superior Let It Be album, by the way. You over the Beatles yeah. Let It Be? Yeah. I don't have as strong of feelings for it as I do for the Beatles Let It Be, but I think objectively that probably is true. Yeah. Yeah, could be. Uh, all right, let's talk a little history in 1984. Weird, not anything like crazy you would think about. Like first spacewalk happened. Um, Michael Jackson got his scalp burned during a Pepsi commercial. Um, it's a big one. Yeah. Uh, space shuttle Discovery takes off on its maiden voyage. Here's one, Jake, though. Uh, Band Aid formed. That, oh, right. That like charitable... Project music yes. project, and they came out with uh, that. We do, are the world. No, uh, do they know it's Christmas? Yeah, kind of an, an annoying. Don't like that song. Like really pretty tone deaf song. I don't like that song. Um, also in 1984, Sean, uh, the Celtics win their second championship of the 80s. That's correct. Over the Los Angeles Lakers. That's correct. Um, so a, a great decade for basketball. Oh yeah. Like I think they saved basketball. I think for we're sure. in the best decade of basketball since the 80s. Yeah, because the thing is, like Jordan happened in the 90s, but a lot of people say other than that, it was like yeah. not that great. Yeah. So yeah, good good year in '84. I always like how clean and like it, it, very nice even year. Yeah, '84, yeah. four is half of eight. This is probably bad radio. Uh, yeah, let, let's dive in with our segment, Hot Thoughts, where we discuss new releases and music news. Uh, Arcade Fire, everything now. The new album, their fifth studio album, came out this past Friday, and to put it lightly, the critical response was poor. Yeah, the mid- fan response was poor. This yeah. album has gotten kind of shit on and panned it's across been, the board. It's been pretty widely panned, um, and I think it's interesting because we both have discussed on the podcast about how we had sort of a negative reaction to some of the stuff they were doing in terms of the lead up. We talked, I think, last episode about how a lot of it was sort of ham fisted and sort of awkward and really sort of over the top in terms of the way they were promoting the album and seeing the reviews I fully expected to really dislike it especially where I like Arcade Fire but I've never been someone who even as much as you is totally like all in the Arcade oh, Fire yeah, I'm a big big fan yeah yeah and I've, I've, I've always been enjoy, I've always enjoyed Arcade Fire with a little bit more of a remove I don't yep. think I've ever been quite a disciple mm-hmm. um, that being said I I kind of like this album, and and I've only listened once so far, but and that's because of like how busy I was with Newport and stuff. But I I, I kind of liked it. I I thought that some of again the overtones of everything now and infinite content. It like again, 
it's a little obvious. Um, and, and some of the lyrical content is a bit, you know, sort of mm-hmm. over the top, hitting you over the head with themes. Mm-hmm. Musically, I think there's some pretty cool stuff going on. And I, I actually, I'm going to listen again. And I, I think I it might enjoy this album. Here is a shocking, shocking take from me. I, 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 I want to, I have in my head what it's going to be. And I'll tell you if, if okay. I'm right about what your take okay. is. I, I went into this album fully expecting to really dislike it yeah. based on the reviews, based on the singles that had came out, based on the whole conversation around this album, the press lead up, everything. I was going in with basically no expectations, being like, this is going to be bad. I like this album. Nice. I like it. I, it's not even close to as bad as all of these reviews are are saying. It is like, with the exception of three songs in the middle, Chemistry, Infinite Content, both Infinite Contents, Chemistry, everyone's saying Peter Pan is one of their worst songs. It's not that bad. Yeah. I, I th- don't hate it. And I think what it is, I think the argument people would have is like three songs in the middle of a 47-minute album being not great right. is not the best sign. Here's what I thought your take was going to be, and I'm actually interested in what your response might be to it. I thought you were going to say you actually like it better than Reflector. Here's the thing. Yeah. I might eventually, because yeah. Reflector is too long, and the more time I've had away from it first coming out, the less I like it. Mm-hmm. It's bloated. This is an easy listen. Yeah. And I can't say musically that it's any worse than it. The one knock on this album that I, I do have to admit to is the messaging around it is fucking corny and sort of annoying and heavy-handed. I can't make any, you know, I can't reconcile that with them. Like, that is it's bad. It's bad. There's some bad, bad lyrics on here. But it's mostly on a couple of those bad songs. It does come across in some ways as a band who is a little bit increasingly out of touch. Yeah, and, it does and, It and does feel that way. Yeah. It feels a little like old man get off my yard yeah. type of, or get off my lawn type of mentality where they're a little older and a little more scared of what technology is doing. I think for a lot of people that's a tired theme. It's yeah, and I think this was said on the Celebration Rock podcast by Jeremy Gordon. He said, you know, any uh, essayist worth his salt was already talking about this stuff in the early two thousands. Like this is such a tired cliche to talk about, you know, the the mass media consumption of well, the internet. And as evidence of how tired a thing it is, we just had the twentieth anniversary this year of OK Computer, right. and and so even in nineteen ninety seven. That's when this discussion was groundbreaking. Right. That's when it made people really think and, and second guess. When when Radiohead came out with OK Computer in 1997, and it, it spoke to some of those themes and seemed foreboding. Now, it, it kind of feels like, well, no shit. It kind of feels like like you're kind of stating the obvious, right. and it's not that interesting. But again, like I agree with you, where musically on this first listen through, I had I was fine with it, and like I thought the the last few tracks were pretty good. Yeah, I I, I actually put liked, your money on me is an awesome awesome song, and I actually like um, that. What's the one? Everything now, the song. That's a good that song. I also think the other single is good. Creature too. Comfort's really good. If for some reason, like those didn't hook me when I just heard them on their own in the context of the album. I'm like, oh, these are really good songs. Yeah. So, so my my takeaway is if you're an Arcade Fire fan and you've been dis, like dissuaded by the reviews, just give it a try anyways. Because yeah, even I liked it. And and not that I dislike here, them. Here's but. the interesting thing because I have seen you know on Reddit and Twitter a lot of Arcade Fire fans have been like it's their worst and like this isn't very good. I I, I think there might be some just people getting caught up in the reviews and the conversation right now because yeah. it seemed like 
music publications, music critics were almost all had a secret meeting and were like, this, we're going to knock Arcade Fire down a peg this time around. Like, their time has come. Like, we're going to just pan this album. It's a 68 on Metacritic. Their yeah. lowest one before this was Reflector with an 80. Like, yeah. this is a huge drop off the cliff, and it's really not that much worse than Reflector. Well, and especially from Pitchfork, because Pitchfork, they were big time in the Arcade Fire camp. I don't think anything they had done had not gotten Best New Music. No, I, no. Reflector got a 9.2. Yeah. And t- to see them get a 5.6 on, on Pitchfork... Uh, Actually won me an over-under, which I forgot That's right. About. That's right. I yep. got that over-under because of yep. it. I, never in my wildest dreams did I think it was going to be that far under, whatever the line we set, 8.2 or something. It was It was actually too high. It was like 8.5 or 8.6. I knew for a while that was never going to hit for me. But you're right, a 5.6, I read that and I was shocked yep. because that felt... First of all, it's not a 5.6. No. Yeah. Um, that felt like almost personal in a way where they're like we're gonna punitive yeah yeah that was that's too low that's it seems like mean almost because this album is not a five six it's better it's better than that well it's and and we've known for years that pitchfork has um they have an issue with establishment bands and establishment mm -hmm. artists and they're going to distance themselves from artists that even they like they've done it with animal collective a little bit yep They're, they're gonna start doing it with arcade fire as soon as something is edging towards mainstream, or it's becoming... they'll probably they'll probably do it with the National Vampire Weekend this year, yeah, maybe or, they or will. next year. Yeah. yeah, maybe they will. I don't know. I mean, because it just feels like with Pitchfork, the politics, what they, the way they yep. try to play it, they always need to distance themselves yep. from these bands that are becoming the establishment. And Arcade, I think to their detriment in some cases. I agree with that. And Arcade Fire is pretty much the establishment at this point. Because you read the reviews and it's like, you think it's, oh, it's this bad album. But what you realize pretty quickly is it's not, it's it's these established musicians who are really talented still. Is it their best, most awe-inspiring, groundbreaking work? No, but it's still the work of competent musicians who have a really interesting perspective mm-hmm. and write cool songs. Is it, it is it Funeral? No. It, is it The Suburbs? No. No one really actually sounds like Arcade Fire. No, no. If really, you listen yeah. to other rock music or other indie rock music, it sounds nothing like this band. You could make the argument, oh, they're doing James Murphy, Murphy synths and dance beats. Now it's like, yeah, but it's still Wynn Butler and Regine singing and writing these songs. No one sounds like them. They still got to play it. And yeah. I had a moment today where I was listening to this and I was like, this is a fucking Arcade Fire album yeah. that people are just writing off whole cloth because like a few of the songs are bad and there's some cringy lyrics. There's some really, really good songs on here. I had a moment where I was listening to Put Your Money On Me and I was like, wow, this is actually like a really emotionally like deep song where he's yeah. talking about getting a little bit older, being with this person who... Like he's been with for a while and just kind of living life. Those last few songs are kind of about that. And and Stephen Hyde brought up a great point where he's like, I like those songs. I wish the whole album was like more of Wynn's perspective as a 30 something, just like dude living life more than shitting on internet culture and, you know, millennials and stuff like that. I think that gets tiresome from Arcade Fire. Yeah. But they can still write really, really good songs. It does get tiresome because it's just there is something to be said about every generation for all of time has had people who are older yeah. naysaying yeah. and and criticizing the flaws of that generation and it's really funny because even the wisest of people seem to fall 
in mm-hmm. that trap. It mm-hmm. seems like they're unable to escape the mm-hmm. the fact that when you get a little older and you remember how things used to be and how you were comfortable, you're going to be scared by what's new. And I think that for a lot of critics who love Arcade Fire and we're all in, they don't want to see them go down that path. They don't right. want to see them be the scared old men, right. uh, you know, hoarding, you know, yep. like uh, in a uh, Armageddon bunker. And, and the reason why I think maybe some of these critics are coming so hard at them is because if they do that, these critics are now not those guys. Yeah, right. They're like, oh, no, I, I, I'm not criticizing the younger generation. I'm not this, like, crotchety old man or right. woman who, who can't deal with the kids now i'm oh no arcade fire they're they're wrong on this it's like so i think there's a lot of that too where it's like oh i gotta make sure that like i don't come across this way like just take this as an arcade fire album take away the press and stuff because that's all annoying that's all just window dressing on an actual album of pretty good cool sounding songs yeah, and it, it becomes hard when you follow music like this to do that. If you if you are following, I, the I'm press. shocked I was able to do it. That's why yeah. I'm so pleasantly surprised. I fully expected for all of this to just influence me and be like, nope, I, I'm writing this off. Right. I'm like, I, I've been kind of excited to listen. I've that's, listened a few times. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really great. I'm happy to hear it. Yeah. So here's something else we want to talk about. Speaking of artists not aging gracefully, Mm. uh, Ryan Adams went on something of a Twitter rant against the Strokes. He was shitting a little bit on Albert Hammond Jr.'s songwriting. He was making fun of Julian Casablanca, it looked like, for being fat. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess he's gotten a little pudgier, but we've all aged uh, Ryan Adams. What are your thoughts here, man? (sighs) Okay, it seems to me like he finally got around to reading Meet Me in the Bathroom. Which I still need to get around to reading. Yes, you do. It's amazing. And he got to the part where like all the members of the Strokes in this oral history were like, yeah, Ryan Adams got Albert Hammond Jr. addicted to heroin and like was a junkie fuck and like ruined his life, basically. Which is, well, uh, you know, as, as things go, not a good thing to have n- said about you. No, no. And but Ryan Adams like still denies it. And I believe he definitely played a hand in it. But I feel like he finally got around to that and is like, fuck these guys. And that's why he went on this rant. Here's the thing. I understand a lot of people really like Ryan Adams. They really like his music. They like his albums. I've never really listened to him. All I see is like this shit that he does and like the kind of person he is, especially the way he's painted and meet me in the bathroom. Fuck Ryan Adams. This dude is so goddamn annoying. Really? Like I, I... he might have, like, Heartbreaker might be an awesome album. Gold might be an awesome album. I don't give a fuck. This dude sucks as a person. He sucks. Everything I've seen of him on Twitter. He was at Newport Folk Fest last year and, like, making fun of Father John Misty. And Father John Misty shot back. Yeah, yeah. He clapped back, as the the kids on Twitter like to say. Right. But, you know, now he's doing this stuff to the Strokes, who I love. And basically, all the things that were said in Meet Me in the Bathroom about the shit he would do and... Just, like, he's this shitty drug addict who just, like, shoots his mouth off all the time. Yeah. And just seems like a kind of a mean, fucked up person. That's certainly how the tweets came across. And I didn't really... Is there some larger context to why now? Or is it... I I literally think it's because he finally got around to reading Meet Me in the Bathroom. and got to the part where, like, a lot of people were shitting on him. Because that was what I was wondering. Because I saw that those tweets were out there and I saw people kind of reacting to them. And I was... I didn't understand, if not for the book, why else? I don't think there's a reason. And it just seems like weirdly vindictive yeah. to kind yeah. of attack them. I, I, I don't... Like, to be honest, I, it's sort of this feud that I don't know if I'll ever get fully. Like, I, I don't think I... I don't know. I think reading the book will give you a lot of context. Because yeah. they like um, ran in similar circles or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ryan Adams like hung out with 
in that whole scene, and they they go in depth about it, and you'll 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 he, get context. He is this like, but people die on the hill for Ryan Adams. They do, and that's the people thing. People love this dude. I, so like in his Twitter replies, uh, people were like, "How is the dude who is most famous for writing a Taylor Swift cover album going to come at Julian fucking Casablancas?" Yeah, and so many people in the replies were like, "Have you ever listened to this? Have you ever listened to that?" And like. We're shitting all over this dude yeah. who was clapping back at Ryan yep. Adams, and I was like, "I'm like this this other dude who was yeah. getting shit on," because I've never listened to any of those albums. I've only ever listened to that 1989 cover album. Thought it was kind of stupid. I've only ever seen his Twitter and online antics and been annoyed by it. I've never listened to those quote unquote classic Ryan Adams albums. They might be ruined for me at this point because yeah. I just like can't stand the guy. Dude, who knew Ryan Adams had such a uh, Twitter beehive? Yeah, who yeah, knew? beehive. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, right. Because people are, people, I, I don't know, man. And it's interesting to see the response. I, personally, I'm fully on the stroke side. It oh, seems me too. Like it's, I mean, I'm sure they're not perfect people. No, and, I, and from everything I understand about them, I'm sure you know they are probably somewhat difficult to work with, and, yeah. and could be you know whatever stubborn like any artist. But yep. uh, it, it definitely from what you've described from the Meet Me in the Bathroom book. And just what I know about Ryan Adams, it just, I'm certainly not going to like take his side on no. the, it, Why make fun of that? I don't know. Like making fun, It's like... Julian Castleblanks' weight. It's like, well, dude, if the boot fits, you, it sounds like you got... These guys hooked on fucking heroin. Yeah. So, like, that's a lot worse. Right. <laughs> it, the, like, in poke, like, calling names on Twitter, it doesn't come across it, well. No. And a girl was like, oh, I'm glad that you talked about, like, body positivity at your last show. And now you're making fun of his weight like that's right. really fucked up and like childish and like you don't know what's going on or yeah. like why would you do that I, I i can't pretend to understand it so f- uh, yeah fuck that guy i understand he has like great rock albums like doesn't mean he's a good person there's a lot of shitty people out there who've made great art okay yeah. like that you can separate the artist from the person it, it's scary how how many how much that just is the, the yeah. truth of life is like people who make stuff you love yeah are like suck in a lot of ways true very true it, it hurts me a little bit very true here's some people who don't suck jake we're gonna get into a show and tell yep let's do we it. had a busy show weekend as we discussed in our last episode yeah we sort of previewed it last week we started off kicked off our weekend last thursday night by going to thompson's point in portland maine uh, to see Fleet Foxes. Yes. Um, what we realized on the ride up, much to our chagrin, because from we live in Manchester, New Hampshire, so the drive to Portland is is like about two hours, yeah. a little more. Yeah. And so we left work around five because again we work day jobs, and we realized about halfway there from big friend of the pod Josh. Sandy Alex G is opening for <laughs> yeah, Fleet Foxes. Yeah, what, who put out one of our favorite records of the year. Just one of a couple uh, missed connections we had this weekend musically. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that yeah, later. Yeah. But, yeah. So we get there, we walk in to the venue as uh, Sandy Alex G is closing with Guilty. Yep. That's all we heard. We didn't see yep. him on stage for even a second. Nope. Um, so that's at the time. It was fine. But what did you think of Fleet Foxes' performance? I thought Fleet Foxes were really, really good. Yeah. I think, and we both agreed, you br- you actually brought this up to me, you said they seem like a happier band, and I couldn't agree more. Robin Pecknold's up there smiling, he's laughing. Well, we saw him back in 2012, was it? Yep. He wasn't doing any of that. Yeah, we've talked a lot between us, and I think probably on the podcast, about how when we saw Fleet Foxes on the Helplessness Blues tour, some of the veneer that we had that was all imagined but very real to us of them being this sort of mythic, almost mystical band, that veneer was lifted and what we saw was a competent band that was playing their songs well but to me seemed 
unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I think time has only proven out the fact that at that time they were not a mentally right. healthy band. They had there was tension with Josh Tillman as the drummer in the band. You know, they they were all young guys who I don't think took time to figure themselves out. Mm-hmm. With this show that we just saw last weekend. Or, or the last week, it, it seemed obvious to me that Robin Pecknold was taking things less for granted and yeah. really understanding how lucky he was to be there and how happy he was to be able to play music. Really grateful to the crowd. The crowd was giving great energy. Yeah. Uh, he was really grateful for that. Really good crowd. They sounded really good. His voice is powerful as fuck. That is something I wanted to talk about, man. With, with Robin Pecknold, I don't know what it is. I always knew he had a good voice. I, I think it has taken some time and context for me to realize how much of a gem it actually mm-hmm. is. It is like it, it's like unlike any voice in music. Mm-hmm. It's actually crazy how well he can sing. Agreed. Um, and I think part of it is like the quality of his voice is so different. It's this high, almost a little nasally register, but it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And he can belt out these high notes with seeming ease. It it comes across as so easy to him. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I like Just a commanding voice. Really, and, and they ended up doing like kind of the half-assed uh, fish cover. Yeah, uh, because fish Bouncing had covered the house or whatever white, it is. white winter hymnal. So that was cool because that made like the music Twitter news and yeah. stuff, which which is always cool to be like I was at that show. Yeah, and then because like, Robin was like, "This song is a fish song. This next song is a fish song," yeah. and then jumped into white winter. Yeah, hymnal. that was really really yeah. cool. Uh, I thought they were great. I, I had fun. T- I had a fun time at that show. Um, one thing, and it's not Fleet Fox's fault at all, it's actually separate from the show, it's actually a me problem, Yeah, is I got there, and just the whole setup of the of the venue, it felt very, like, um, corporate indie rock, where it's like, right. you go, and you're paying for this experience to put on Instagram and social media, there was a fucking drone flying above us, like, taking pictures, you're buying your, like, $20 beers, yeah. You know, it just seems like you're being sold an experience. And I'm used to that at shows at this point, not when it's with Fleet Foxes, this band who was a, a huge part of like my late teenage, early adult years. Yep. Especially when you talk about that veneer that got kind of dented, p- peeled back the first time. It's gone now well, because of this, where it's like I kind of got my. 17, 18, 19-year-old nostalgia sold back to me for $9 a beer at, at this show. And what's really interesting to me and, and upsetting in some ways, and I have to try to let it go, is it's a similar thought to that where I go to the show and in my mind, it's again, it's like what you talked about. It's the veneer we we thought that we, was sort of lifted in 2012. You go and I have these expectations that I fully acknowledge are unreasonable of Fleet Foxes. I expect they're going to be because their albums are works of like complex mixtures of folk and sort of almost ancient sounding music. With this new album, there's like jazz elements. Mm-hmm. It, it's this very complex studio work of art. And when I experience it, I have a very there's a feeling I get that I feel like only I really get. It's just a very intimate feeling. And what happens is, and I'm sure listeners can relate with other artists, you go to a show. And I end up feeling like I'm butting heads a little bit with some of the other people in the crowd. Because people in the crowd are there dressed in their, talk about Instagram opportunities. They come, they're dressed in their like... They're they're lightweight pink flannel and like yeah. a, and a, a straw hat. They're wearing lots of like linens. Yeah, and yeah everyone, a lot of linen. They're there to have fun and take pictures yep. and be oh I'm a part of this Fleet Foxes thing. And they're like when a song like um, Ragged Wood or a song like He Doesn't Know Why comes yeah. on and everyone's doing the woo 
yeah. and like, and like shaking their hands yeah. and singing along. I saw someone do the like the rock, the yeah. Ronnie James Dio rock on hand yep. Sing, yep. Um, uh, gesture. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, that's so wrong. Mm-hmm. But what's difficult about that is it's not wrong. It's how they view the music. But there's, I, I can't reconcile. And that. it's Fleet Foxes more than anyone. There's this big disconnect between what I perceive them to be and how I've experienced them, yeah. and what a wider audience experiences them as. And that's easier for me to swallow at almost any other yeah, indie rock show. It's something different about Fleet Foxes where like my brain can't make that connection. I'm like, this is a different band than what you listen to on record almost or, or at least yeah. especially on that first record and ep i'm like this isn't that band and these aren't those fans it's we- it's a weird disconnect it's, it's, it's like this but it's it's stupid because it's like that's how i perceive that band yeah that doesn't make it the right way well it, it's interesting because it's like with an album like they're self-titled or another one for me is is the wild hunt by the tall yeah. tallest man on earth when i hear that those songs played live I, I I think anyone who is that intimately tied to a record feels almost it's embarrassingly like tied to it, yep. embarrassingly connected to it, yep. and then you sort of it just never lives up to that because right. other people experience it in different ways, right? You know? Right, exactly, so. exactly. So yeah, an interesting experience. I think if you're taking it just at face value of was it a good show? Yes, absolutely. We just happen to bring all this other baggage with it. Yeah, we we are just potentially mentally ill. And, <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's potential. And and unable to enjoy things yeah. on on their surface level Correct. the way you really should. Correct. So don't be dejected, music no. fans, because no. Fleet Foxes are actually doing great things live. Yep. Speaking of not being able to enjoy things to their fullest extent, Jake, let's talk about Newport Folk Fest. And I say that kind of jokingly. I had a great time this weekend with you As did I. and both of our girlfriends. I think we had a really fun weekend. Big friends of the pod. Huge friends of the pod. Um, so overall, I had fun. What did you think overall of the festival itself? What were your thoughts? Um, I think for sure, having gone last year and then going again this year, um, the lineup was less stacked this year by a substantial margin. I agree. Because last year we were talking about it. We had Father John Misty. We had Edward Sharp. We had uh, Graham Nash. Uh, help me out with some of the other. Frightened Rabbit. Frightened Rabbit Julian, Julian Baker, Baker. Alabama Shakes. And like we mentioned him earlier. Ryan Adams was there. That's a yeah. big name to have. It. We didn't really we didn't see him. But, you and, know. And it was loaded. And I think that either this year it wasn't as loaded just Full stop, period, like objectively. I think objectively it just wasn't. But it also wasn't as loaded just for what we're interested in. Yeah. Um, That being said, it was cool to see Whitney. It was cool to see Pine Grove. Um, and we'll get into those a little more yep. as we dive into some of our other thoughts. Uh, what were your some of your general thoughts? So I, I'm with you on, I think objectively, it just wasn't as strong of a year lineup-wise. Um, the, but I have to say, there's something about just being at Fort Adams State Park in Newport, and being in Newport, and going to see it at the fort. It's this awesome setup. I I am not one of these people who is easily sucked into a vibe because no. I'm always like, you're selling me this thing and it's bullshit. There is something I I say this begrudgingly. There's something about Newport that I'm just like, you know what? This is different. There's something different about this festival. It feels cool to be here. There is this sense of community almost. People just treat each other a little nicer there. There's something about it that I really, really like and can't shake no matter what lineup is there. It's just a cool place to be. And I'm with you. And I I accept that with the same begrudging attitude Mm -hmm. and the same like... 
I'm searching for something else cynical to say. Yep. It's the same thing for me. There are moments where I'm there, and it happened more last year than this year, yep. but especially, no matter what, I, I do feel like there's a cool vibe. And comparing it to Boston Calling, for example, while Boston Calling was fun and definitely a more stacked lineup, I have a more purely fun time at Newport because it's 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 more getting away. Yeah. Boston Calling felt like a lot of it was work to yeah. go and see everybody and be up front and not and deal with the crowd. It's a longer day. They do such a better job of crowd control and just spacing things out and having it be a relaxing festival environment than a Boston Calling or what I would imagine any of the other big festivals that are kind of on the same level. And right. I think it's to Newport's credit that they've kept it small over all these years and only sell a certain amount of tickets. That yes, that might limit you in terms of the lineup that you can have there, but it you know they do a great job fitting people in and, and getting good artists there and doing cool stuff. So yeah. and it seems to me from the artist perspective too, it's special for them. Like yeah. not only all of the guest spots that they do, which we'll get into in a little bit, but just the people who are just doing a standard early afternoon set. There's this warmth and energy that comes from the crowd that the artists seem to absorb and feed back. And it's just this channeling of energy between the crowd and the artists that you don't see at other festivals. And I really don't think artists are totally used to it because I I can speak to the same thing where you go to... Pine Grove is an example. You go to see them at a club or like just sort of a dingy downstairs, you know, just small little location, like venue... And you're, you, there's an energy there. You know what that energy is if you've been to those shows. It's it definitely excitement, but it almost feels like very echo chambery. It feels oh, like, yeah. of course, everyone here likes it. It's this is these are the only people who would ever listen. To see them, and this happened with Julian Baker last year. To see a band like Pine Grove this year playing to this crowd, it was pretty big, and they were getting a really positive reception because they sounded great. And to see that for them made me really, really happy. And it's how I felt with Julian Baker last year. I completely agree because it's people who you know have never listened to their records before. This is the first time they're ever yep. hearing them and they're vibing and they're enjoying they're it, it. And they're giving that back to them and the band's giving that back to, to you and the crowd. It sounds like bullshit for listeners probably who maybe haven't been there. There's seriously a different vibe about this place in, in the, the shows that happen there. And Every all the artists seem to be so grateful to be there, and yeah. they're all like, "I hope I get to come back. I love playing here. Like this has been so great. It's refreshing to see that because you don't see that at every show. No, and people definitely seem to have fun. So speaking of fun and speaking of musicians at Newport, mm-hmm. Sean, what was your favorite act that you saw during the weekend? So I because I think know, we have the same one. Yeah, you you talked about Pine Grove, and I like them for all of those reasons because it was just cool to see them kind of grow up in front of our eyes. Yeah. But I think uh, Drive-By Truckers probably put on the best just pure show. Because we've seen Pine Grove a a few times before, a couple times before. Yeah, I was thinking about it, and actually I've weirdly seen them more than a lot of other bands that I like even better. Yeah, that's that's me with the hotel year. Right. I've seen them like way too many times for how much I actually like them. Yeah, it's the same thing for me. Um, So I've seen them a lot, and it was cool to be able to compare those other times with their Newport set. But I think... Drive-By Truckers probably were my favorite. Drive-By Truckers was for me, too. So I know you, and you've spoken about it, I think, on the podcast, have gotten really into their 2016 album, American Mm -hmm. Band. I listened to it once way back, and then in preparation for seeing them this week, I listened a couple times, and it it was starting to kind of buzz on it. I was like, okay, I really like some of these songs. I like what they're doing here. Seeing them live has plunged me straight into loving that Mm. album and really, really liking them as a band. I listened to... 
American Band two times in a row last night. Nice. Just while I was trying awesome. to do some homework. I listened two times in a row. Drive-By Truckers are a really tight, really, really good live band. Mm-hmm. And they put on a fun and impassioned like and just tight professional performance, but but they didn't lack in all the raw elements you'd want no, to have either. No, and, and and so one of the themes at Newport is always there's always a slight political theme to it, sure. based on the history, based on just who's there. Well, in the two years we've went, think about it. Last year, Trump was mounting his yeah. campaign and starting to it's starting to look like he might actually be president. And we come to July this year. He's just president now, right? So it, like it went the worst it, way it could, and it, and it seemed to me, I don't know. Let me know because we actually didn't talk about this. It seemed to me like that was hanging over the whole festival, but Definitely. no one really wanted to touch it on the nose. No one wanted to exactly kind of talk about it. It was always it was talked about in a different way, like drive by truckers. It was talked about in a race kind of way. It went well, but Patterson Hood did say in his little spiel about when he's introducing uh what's the name of the song again? The one about the, uh, what it means. The black kid who got yeah. shot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh he was talking about he's like and when you have this like idiot asshole well, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, in the most true. powerful position in the yep. I felt that was a direct reference. True. There was yeah, some that's that. true. I I thinking more of the Pine Grove show where yeah. um he was kind of like I know he, he just about. talked about new friends in like this slightly political way that wasn't totally. He's like, given the environment now, new friends kind of takes on a new meaning. Yes, there was um, a lot of that of of saying it without saying it. I, I agree. Yeah, totally so there was a, there was a lot of that, and it felt like it hung like a cloud, but not in a good way at all. Not in like a no, like a we're all kind of scared way. It, yeah, and like we don't really know what to do way. Um, right. That's how it felt to me. But that performance of what it means and him telling that story before, I. I didn't like cry or anything, but I felt that feeling in my throat where I was like, this means something. Yeah. This means a lot. It is like, this is giving me a new perspective on this song that I didn't have before. I thought it was very, very powerful. And just for context for listeners, I won't tell the whole long story, but basically what he was saying was when he moved to, I think it was Georgia or Florida or something, somewhere in the South, he had a neighbor, this nice older black woman who had a son who was basically mentally impaired. He was like 12 or 13, but mentally he was about eight or nine. So he was delayed. And he heard, I think, voices. And he thought he heard God telling him to go spread the word of Jesus in the town center. And so he like ran naked through town. And he told the story like he was like the the his like mother saw him again, but it was they brought him back with like seven bullets in him. Yeah. And the cops killed him. Yeah. Um, this little kid, and then he jumps into what it means. And if you know that science, it's like it kind of speaks to Ferguson yep. and the tensions between authority figures yep. and and black people in the country. Yep. It was it was a very impactful performance. Yeah, it was. It was. And then they wrapped up with "Hell No, I Ain't Happy." That song is. I was so happy they played that song live because is that from Decoration? Day? That's from Decoration Day. I, it's I think it's technically their most popular song. Yep. Maybe like it's their like go to single. Is it actually called "Hell No, I Ain't Happy"? Uh, I think so. Okay, I think so. I, I didn't see that in their top five on Spotify. I didn't really? know exactly what song it was. Maybe it was, and mm. I just totally missed it. Interesting. Yeah, but that was an awesome end. They did a cool jam to that. Um, the, those guys, especially, I think it's Mike Cooley and Patterson Hood, who are the, the lead singers and songwriters. Um, they are really, really good musicians. Both yeah. very good guitar players, really good, good songwriters. Yeah. And just like they, you know, they're a little older. I think they're born in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 I think they're getting to be middle aged. And I think yeah. at this point, they just, they love what they do and yep. they're having fun with it. Yep. I think that was both my most surprising and most, the best performance. What was a letdown for you? Most disappointing thing? So, 
I think you could go a couple different ways here. Uh, you could pick a musical act. You could pick something about the An festival. Aspect. Yeah. I, I think the most disappointing thing in general was just kind of the lineup on Sunday because you had a packed Friday, which we weren't there for, unfortunately. You had a, a good lineup on Saturday, and then Sunday kind of fell off a cliff almost. You had Pine Grove and Whitney, who we both enjoyed, but after that, we didn't really, we personally didn't care too much about who was left that day. I have a, a thing that is most disappointing, but I see that on the agenda it's in the trust tree, and I'll leave it alone. For me, and I feel bad saying this because they do a good job, but for me, it was Whitney's performance because I, I, I really like Whitney and I really like that album. And I wasn't even disappointed because uh, I thought their performance was a little weaker than it could have been. And I, I'm going to try to explain this in a way that makes sense. I'm not disappointed because of that. I'm disappointed because I, I hope people still check them out. Mm -hmm. Because what happens with that band is the lead singer, I think his name's Julian, he is always singing falsetto, and he's drumming. It's a weird band makeup, and I think if you're not singing with your full voice, mm. with all the power you can, you sort of have, singing falsetto and drumming aren't exactly things that, that meld that well. Because, mm. honestly, singing falsetto live is hard to, it hard, it's mm -hmm. hard to make it come across the right way, because mm -hmm. it's a very delicate thing. And it sounds great on record, doesn't always sound great live, and I think as a result, Whitney instrumentally sounded pretty tight but but the vocals came across as a little limp and i just as someone who liked that record so much i'm just i was disappointed where i was like i bet some people are, are thinking they're not for real or yeah. or not going to check them out as a result yep. of this yep. not the feeling i left pine grove with no i no. like they just bought themselves like another hundred new fans exactly yeah i i'm with you and, and if it wasn't me just picking the lineup in general on sunday it would be that whitney performance i i felt in lockstep with you on that um, biggest surprise of the weekend, Jake. I think you you hit your drive-by truckers. Yeah, is that the big surprise? Yeah, for you? I was looking for it, and it, okay. it, it really is the same exact thing. So I won't say any more than that. It was just that I was, I guess, a little surprised at how much I like drive-by truckers. My my biggest surprise is kind of twofold. One is how much I I actually didn't care to like really get up front or get close for Avett Brothers or like Wilco yeah. who were pretty big names to be there on Saturday. I was more content to just sit back and kind of hear them from afar. Me too. Um, so I was a little surprised at myself about that. I would like to amend my biggest surprise. The biggest surprise for me was leaving on Monday morning, getting out of the elevator, and seeing John Prine, That's who right. performed at the festival, That's walk right. into the elevator That's after right. us. That's right. That could be fake, but I'm almost positive I think it was, was him. him. I'm pretty sure it was him. My other big surprise uh, was from Sunday. On the They had this, um, this set just called Speak Out, and it was basically a bunch of artists and special guests who came on and just performed like protest songs basically so you had uh jim james and nick offerman singing masters of war yep. by bob dylan you had margot price singing uh working class hero by john lennon right that was cool. you had some other people doing like very famous covers so that is the cool thing about newport is they get like a bunch of guests even if they're not doing a set to just come and do a song. Like they had Sharon Van Etten there. Margot Price performed last year, but not this year. Jim James also, actually he was performing this year, but has been known to be a big friend of Newport. Like Newport kind of gets this community of artists who are like, I buy into Newport and what they're all about, and I'm going to show up even if I'm not playing a set. And again, we're going to get to it with the trust tree because there's a couple big names that we missed as a result yeah. of this, but a big, big takeaway for me is... 
it's worth watching the performances, even if you don't think you love the artist, because you're yeah. gonna you're gonna probably catch a cool surprise. Yeah, exactly. There's gonna be a little Easter egg. And I think out there. we learned that's the hard way this year. We did, and again, we'll get to it. But we have to talk about will we go again? Will we return to Newport? What do you so, think? So I've thought about this. Um, my answer is generally yes. I would definitely go back to Newport for all the reasons I said about it feels like a special place. The performances are great. They do a good job with the lineup, even if it's not 100% to my taste. Yep. The answer is yes. Will I go back next year in the same capacity? Probably not. Right. I would like to maybe wait and see what the lineup looks like. Maybe pick one day this time that's maybe the strongest and try and do it that way. The only issue is it's hard to buy just a single day ticket and they don't announce what the days are until very close and they're sold out. So yes, I would go back maybe in a few years or down the road. Would I go back for the full weekend? Yes. I think I need to just spend my time and money and my precious vacation days a little bit differently next summer since I've done this two summers in a row now. So I think I just need to switch it up a little bit. It has nothing to do with like that it wasn't fun. It's just I need to do something else. Because part of the reason I like Newport so much is both year we both took it as sort of vacation. Right. And there was I had vacation days around the weekend and we went away like we got a hotel and stayed down there as a group. For me that was a big part of what was fun about it. And if I did it again I would hope to do it again that way. Yeah, me too. Because for me it is less about having the perfect lineup. And that's in some ways I was happy to just like you said hang out in the back listen to the music see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I'm learning more and more that's that's how Newport rolls. That's sort of what you got to do. Yep. Uh, So I would definitely go again. Cool. Cool. And my laptop died, so you are going to run point oh, on our over unders here? Yeah, mine's getting low too, and we got to be careful. We might get to a point where I have to like stop it, and we'll have to okay. save it. Okay. So, but here, okay, so here's what we're doing. We're going to go over our over unders. First one, over under eighty degrees as the highest temperature of the weekend. I think we went over. I think we did. I remember looking, being like, "Oh, I should check it because it's hot right now." Yeah. To see what the temperature is. The technically the most I saw it actually when I looked at that time it said seventy nine. Really. It you, you was think definitely by, hotter than that at some point, though, because like, I'm gonna just say over. I'm on gonna that. say by midday Sunday, I thought it was yeah, higher than I, that. Yeah, I thought so too. So I had the not that it matters. I had the over on that one. The next one, over or under three and a half Trump references during the weekend's performances. So here's the ones I know, and yep. you tell me if you have others. John Prine referenced Trump. Yep. He referenced him when said, he was he said our Fuhrer or something, something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, like we said, uh, Patterson Hood from Drive By yep. Truckers directly referenced Trump. Other than that, direct references, what else do you have? I'm trying so to remember that, that's kind of The what speak I, out thing was kind of all about Trump. That's what I mean about this weekend is it like hung like a cloud and almost everything seemed to be a reference to it. People were going to take it as one. It kind of permeated the weekend. It, it did. Um, like I think there were vague Whitney ones. Yeah. There were vague Avett Brother ones. There was, it was, there was vague Wilco ones. He's like, it's been a bad week. And like that could have yeah. meant like just personally, but also with all the healthcare stuff happening. So, like, there were vague references all over the place. If we wanted to, we could easily say it hit the over yeah. easily. I think that's fair. And you had the over here; it was three and a half. The in in terms of again specific direct references that I personally caught, it was two, maybe three. But I I mean, if we're talking the weekend and the yeah. stuff we missed Friday, yeah, there's no deal. We sure probably there in the was, teens, twenties, exactly. They were exactly. probably nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Um, our next over under. 
over under $100 spent on food and beverages throughout the weekend. And we were talking, this is outside of the festival, so just in Newport, right? That's what we decided? Oh, I thought we said just in the festival. Oh, just in the festival. Just in the oh, festival. Right, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. just in the festival. Because, I mean, a couple dinners in Newport are going to put you over yeah, okay. pretty quick. Outside of the festival, I went over. Within the festival grounds, I think I went under. I went under as well. I, I, I bought, like, a burger one day. Yep. I did one day where I just didn't buy any food. I ended up... I spend the most money on beer, though. You buy, like, three beers, and you're, like, donezo. I bought a total of five beer tokens, yeah. and it's $8 each. So yeah. you spend 40 bucks. there. I, that's about what I spent on that, I too. I think I bought a grilled cheese that was $9. That's insane, So man. that's got me almost at 50 I got a falafel oh, yeah. that we yep. split. So that, but I still am far from 100 Yeah, I, I did hit 100 in the festival grounds, which I'm happy about. Um, overall, on the weekend, I definitely went over 100 but... You know, oh, that, whatever. That's to be. That's you, to be this is what you got to do to get by in Newport. It's yeah. a little bit of a bougie town, yeah. as a lot of port towns. Yeah, yeah, it's coming. a vacation town in the summer. Like they're gonna obviously gouge you on, on prices and on hotel prices. Oh, yeah. as we found out. Yeah, um, but we weren't surprised by that because we knew a long time in advance. Um, okay, so two more questions we had in our preview. One: Will one of us have an issue getting into the festival grounds due to ticket complications? Answer: No, not yep. at all. And this is just us being anxious doofuses yep. because we had an issue last year. So we just assumed we'd have an issue again. It was totally fine. I had... Mary-Kate and I did mobile tickets. I can't yeah. tell you how much. I was just sure it wouldn't oh, work. Oh, yeah. I know. We just did mobile yeah. tickets. We had them in her passbook on her phone, in the Eventbrite app, and I had PDFs on mm. just my Safari app mm-hmm. on my phone, mm-hmm. open and ready to go in case any of them didn't work. Yeah. Uh, it turned out to be worrying for naught, yeah. as is much of life. Second question... Will one of us succumb to alcohol and or sun poisoning? Uh, answer, no. No. Happy to say that didn't no, happen this year. No, no, We were much more responsible in both our hydration, our sun care, everything. The weather wasn't as bad either. So it wasn't as hot. In fact, if there's such a thing as wind poisoning, we almost had that. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the first night for us, which was Saturday, the winds were howling yeah. at the fort. And, and we all felt at the end of the day... Like, our skin was hot. I also yeah. think it was from constant it was like wind burn. barrage of wind yeah, yeah. all day long. Yeah. That was kind of weird. So that that is it for our, our Newport Folk Festival um, sort of wrap-up. Yeah. Listeners, if any of you were there for some reason, uh, let us know what you thought. Yeah. Or let us know if it sounds fun to you. Yeah. Based yeah, on our yeah, description. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like we alluded, Sean, we have a trust tree. Slash yeah, home. we do. We do. We do. It's a big one. So as we alluded to before, the cool thing about Newport is that a lot of special guests make appearances even during sets that you are not interested in. And a prime example of this was Justin Vernon. He was popping up all over the place all weekend. We, One of our favorite artists... Um, we ended up missing him at every turn. And it was like a Scooby-Doo cartoon where there's like they're looking for someone in the hallway of doorways and you open one door and he pops out the yeah. other. It was just a star-crossed thing. And Although, I will say, when we came in, I think it was Grandma's Hands band yeah, that was on. Yeah. They were playing, and I remember thinking, as we were, it was the, literally right as we first walked into the festival, I was looking up on stage and I heard this voice and I saw this guy who looked like Justin Vernon and I was like I don't think that's him I'm pretty sure that's not him but I, now that you say he was there yeah. I think it was and he so here's the other trust tree not only did Justin Vernon join John Prine uh, at the end of Sunday Roger Waters of yeah. Pink Floyd yeah. Yeah. joined John Prine on stage <laughs> yeah. and we missed that because we caught the early ferry out <laughs> yeah we did um, we did the day was winding down yeah. I think you know none of us really knew John Prine too nope. much 
I think, all we, I I think was, we were all ready to leave at that point too. In you know, in hindsight, maybe we should have stuck around, but also. You know, what is hindsight? What are you going to do? And here's the thing, listeners. If you've been listening to the podcast for any extended period of time, you know this, so I don't even have to say it. But we're not fun people. No, no. We're very unfun. We're a bummer, and yeah. we're going to like ruin fun times yeah. for people. Yeah. yeah, and I don't really regret leaving early. It, it happens. It's fine. It's not the end of the world. Um, and, again, at the time, it felt good to get back to the yeah. hotel a little early. Yeah. Uh, but the lesson is, I think, like I said before, the biggest takeaway with Newport is maybe stick around because you're going to yeah. get a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. You're going to get yeah. some, some guest appearances. But you live and you learn. That's right. Overall, I would say fun weekend, great experience going. I would, I will eventually return to the fort. Um, that's it. Yeah, we'll see how we feel come when they when they start yeah. releasing the yeah. uh, tickets are available yeah. and stuff. Uh, one quick final segment recommendations of the week. I have one this week, mm-hmm. and it's just because I heard someone reference it, and I remembered how much I love this song. She's a Rainbow by the Rolling Stones. Oh yeah, that is from so the Rolling Stones when they tried going psychedelic. It's sort of a famously unfruitful era for mm. them, where they came out with mm-hmm. their Satanic Majesty's request, and it comes across. And it is a ripoff of what the Beatles were doing. She's a Rainbow is a really, really cool song. Awesome song. And it's them actually doing the psychedelic, kind of quirky, weird 60s sound really, really well. So listeners, if you like the Rolling Stones and don't know that song, check it out. Mm -hmm. And if you just have never heard of it, maybe give it a listen. Or if you like it, listen again. It's a good song. There you go. That's that. Yeah. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. So is this going to be? 84? 84. Oh, i got to look up the music thing. We basically already just had a, a personal podcast. Yeah. Can you imagine putting that conversation to to wax? <laughs> Carried out over wax? No, I don't know. I mean, I... No. Like, I are there podcasts out there that are like that? I think that's what something like a Podfathers tries to be. But yeah, I, I think it's like almost... I don't even know if it would be interesting. Because maybe I know. it would. I don't know. Because it's just like... Because it's like so like personal and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, Want to do a quick Thrones thoughts? Yeah, uh, I'll give you my thoughts. I think so. It was either the best episode of the season so far, or at least the most eventful. Um, I think I read some something on Twitter or somewhere where they were like they basically packed a season's worth of activity into one episode. Yeah. And it's true, and their hands starting to be pushed in that yeah. way. And um, I appreciate that though, because it's better yeah. than the table setting yeah. and withholding those big events for the second to last episode. So I, I wanted to just ask you this: I'm not sure if it's what he's talking about, but I, I have a pretty safe bet it was. I saw Andy Greenwald having some sort of Twitter conversation with someone about how I think his argument was that Thrones was too the savagery was too much and I think he was probably referencing the Cersei scene with the Sand Snakes oh yeah and I think his argument was that it was over the top 
Yeah. And, Did and, you feel because I, and I again I, I want to know your opinion because I was watching it with that in the back of my head. So in my mind, I was watching it. And I was like, oh yeah, they did maybe go a little too far with that. That was like really gross. So well, let me let me start this by saying this was the best episode of the season so far. I, this this yeah. was back to being Thrones doing Thrones. Yeah, things, it was really good. Um, where you had people meeting up and talking and not just doing all exposition. It was actually like they were doing that political dance yep. that I loved in the first couple seasons. Um, and it was so great because in those first couple seasons, you had the Cersei and Robert and Varys and Littlefinger all kind of controlling things and being the major players in King's Landing and stuff. It's flipped now where these characters who are like on the bottom rung they season powerless. one are now the people playing the game and in charge, which is awesome to see. It's, actually, it's really interesting because in some ways Game of Thrones is just like a more savage, more ruthless coming of age tale. Like that's really, mm, yep. It's kind of just like what life is. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just about how you go from being the person who knows nothing and is powerless and is just sort of adrift in it. And then all of a sudden you're the people make, calling the shots and you don't know any better than anyone else did. Exactly. And that's where like exactly. John yep. and, and Daenerys are now at. Yep. Even though Daenerys seems to think she knows everything. She She's a little bit Continues too, to annoy me as a character. Um... I, I get why she is the way she is. It, I don't think they're painting her as a super likable, no. like, eventual hero. Well, again, maybe she's not supposed to be likable, but she's definitely, I think, cooler in concept than she is yeah. in truth. And Jon Snow, I like. I, I thought th- those scenes were cool, seeing them meet yeah. and, and stuff. Uh, Jon's kind of dumb, though. He doesn't... He's too, like, hard-headed about what he needs to get done and doesn't understand how to like do it with a little finesse. Yeah, he's he has too much Ned in him, which yeah. is weird because, spoiler alert, he's not Ned's son. Right. So, big spoiler alert. Right. Um, actually, probably the biggest in the whole series. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, he was raised by him, I guess, and he sort of like looked, at, yeah. looked up to him a lot. I thought um, the... Uh, what am I thinking of? The other scenes. The Cersei scene... With the sand snakes, it was I, yeah. I, it was like I didn't know. I don't know if I. I mean, nothing bothers me. I don't really care. Like I, I'll find it upsetting, but I'll just stuff it down. Mm. Um, that scene was pretty fucked up. So fucked up. So the only problem I actually have with that scene, I was like, this is actually a genius thing to do from Cersei to like. It's pretty fucked. It, it's dude, very fucked. But I it's felt, like I fucked like, on this like. So treacherous and devious level, it's yeah. genius. I felt really like upset after I watched. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, but my only issue with that scene—it's not the savagery that Greenwald is referring to. It's that it's happening to this character that I don't really care about. So it feels yeah. sort of hollow. Well, maybe uh, that's... if that was happening to a character we, that we grew to love, it would be devastating. Well, maybe that's in some ways why they had to make it so bad. True, because like people won't feel this unless we True. make it. Way over the top. There's a scene where Mary Kate and I were watching it, and at the end, we were like, we like looked at each like, holy shit, that's messed up, man. It did make me be like, oh shit, like they got to storm King's Landing now to free her, so she doesn't have to watch her daughter decompose for their entire life. Yeah, like so that that at least I was like, I care. I was like, get to King's Landing, and like not only is she gonna watch her decompose, she's gonna watch her die and succumb to poison. Yeah, and it will be powerless to help her. Yeah, and the part where they show them. 
lunging that toward made each me other. really uncomfortable. They like lunged yeah. forth as the fuck, the gate was closing yeah. on them, and they were like a foot away from each other, and they can't move. Yeah, that made me super uncomfortable. It, like the fact that that is not even that unlike the world we live in is crazy. <laughs> I know. Like it, I know. It, 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 thrones should be. We should be able to consider it more fantasy than it is, but like stuff like that happens in the world. Absolutely, it's so messed yeah. up. Yeah, the other thing I really liked about this episode was the fact that it is making things hard for Danny and John, I guess, yeah. because especially Danny. And I say that because one of my issues coming into this season was Danny seemed unstoppable. She had three dragons, she had two different armies, she had an entire fleet of ships. And within three episodes, they've taken a lot of that out. The fleet, yeah. um, The fleet is destroyed. The Tyrells are destroyed. Dunzo. The uh, The Dornish are not a thing anymore, really. Like As showrunners, they kind of had to do this, right? I, yes, but I like that they've leveled the playing field yeah. now. And it's going to make her need John, and John needs her. Like yep. I, I like the way that they've kind of salvaged this. Because I was like, this is boring. Yeah, like, it seemed like there was no, like, no competition. Yeah, but now there yeah. is Cersei's doing shit. Cersei, her back was against the wall to start the season. Now she's kind of running shit. Well, and the thing is, is like, Danny might have all the raw power, but Cersei is a wily vet. She yeah, knows how yeah, to get yeah. shit done yeah. in the real world. Yeah. She knows who to who to fuck and who to fuck over. Exactly. She, and, she knows exactly what to do. And I love that they've kind of even the playing field, and it makes Danny's story so much more interesting now. Like, how are they going to do this? I loved the way. They sh- sh- um, showed us the Casterly Rock siege, yes. where Tyrion was narrating how hard it would be as they were actually doing it, and then and it starts off they, looking like it was. They pulled the rug out from under them, being like, "There should be more here." Yep. And then they show up at High Garden and kill Olena. That whole scene at the end with uh, really Olena and Jamie was awesome. Olena. R.I.P. Yes. Great, great character. character. I'll miss her awesome being on character. screen. Uh, the Tyrells in general, I just yeah. I liked. Yeah, I, Loras is fine. I loved how once she knew how she was going to die and she took the poison, she's like, you literally can't do anything to me. I killed uh, your other son. Well, you know what I was thinking is like, if you're Jamie in that situation, why don't you like torture her for a little while? Because Jamie's not that bad of a dude. No, he's he's not. But like, oh, like you mean before the poison gets her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. dude, she's I, admitted this thing. I that thought you're gonna be pretty pissed about. Why not like like use your sword to like? You, you know what I was also thinking hurt too. Her. So you could read that as that's one last twist of the knife knife from Olena. Yeah. You could also read it as Jamie did me a solid by just poisoning me, and it's not gonna be any pain. I'm gonna do you a solid and let you know the truth behind this. So oh, that true. because Cersei thinks Tyrion killed Joffrey, and that's always been a big thorn in her side. Now that Jamie knows the truth, and let's say right. Cersei's going after Tyrion or doing other bad shit, he could be like, "Look, it wasn't his fault. Like Dude, you're actually a piece of shit." Maybe that could be another wedge. That's maybe where they're going because you yeah. know what? They have been made it a theme, and and, and Olena really drove it home about distancing Jamie from Cersei. Maybe part of this is like he ends up joining Tyrion. They yeah. reunite. They meet. He always had a soft spot That's for right. Tyrion. That's right. That Cersei didn't have. That's she right. had like no no love lost for for Tyrion. Yep. Jamie always had a soft spot for him. Maybe now that he knows that, I'd forgotten that detail. Now that he knows that, and he's like, well, like Tyrion has always been pretty smart, and he's off doing this thing. And Cersei is kind of a mad woman yep. on a throne of nothing. Yep. Maybe I'm. You know, and he's the thing is like Jamie. Is he's a proven oath breaker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He'll do what he needs to do to survive. Yep. 
And exactly what does he have right. to live for if he doesn't love Cersei anymore? All their their, their incestuous babies are dead. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So it could you could read that two ways of fuck you or here's a gift because you showed me some mercy here. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I wonder how she thought it was. But either way, Jamie might take it another way. It would yeah, be exactly, very, exactly, very interesting exactly. if he did something different. Yep. So um, I, I thought this was a great episode. This was back to yep. what I love about Game of Thrones. Me too. And I, I, I think that the rest of the season can only maintain the same pace. Yeah, I don't, you, I don't you, see you, how they could slow you, down. Yeah, you would think. You would um, think, yeah. Unless they're like, ooh, that was a little too, too right, fast. Right, we right, have to right. pump the Let's brakes. Dial it back. Yeah. What, what, I, one last thing. What did you think about how Bran handled his interaction with Sansa? That was weird, right? Well, I don't think he can help it at this point because, he, like, he's not in reality anymore. Mm. He's seeing like fragments of yeah. time all on the same plane, basically. So, like, yeah. he can't be a normal person. No, he can I, use I, a communication specialist, dude, because he needs yes. someone to, like, say that in a way people get it. Because Sansa was, like, scared of him. But the, the other Three-Eyed Raven was kind of the same way. Right. And He's I, spoken I, like fucking riddles. Well, and again, I, I know that, like, he maybe can't control it. Yeah. But you'd think that he'd be able to, like, because she was like, what do you mean? And he won't even explain it. It's hard to explain. Try. So I saw something really funny on Twitter. It was like, Bran is your annoying cousin who just discovered weed. <laughs> Just like kind of out of it, like <laughs> it's hard to explain. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, I, I but yeah, that was we in the the way he was talking about like her rape was yes. super weird. That's a big part of what I meant. Where yeah. it's like, what is he on about? Yeah, that was weird. Like, why are you like why are you commenting on her looks? Yeah, I think what he was doing obviously very ham fistedly, and I think he has no social graces like so many geniuses. Yeah, but he's trying. To prove to her he no, he does have this ability. Yes. But he didn't do it with any tact no. or grace. No, no, no. It was weird. It he was did weird. it with, like, with, with none. Speaking of the scenes in the North, by the way, Sansa, Sansa, as, like, a leader is fucking awesome. Yeah. She She's cool. I really like Sansa. better than Jon is yeah. and just, like, knows shit and gets it done. Littlefinger being there really makes me nervous, though, even though she seems to see through his bullshit. That speech he gave about fight every battle everywhere all the time was yes. awesome, though. That's like the yes. that is like a big callback to chaos is a ladder kind of. Yeah, I liked it. I, I liked the undertones of that, too. Yeah, I thought that was, was really, really cool. Like, I like Littlefinger. Just I do, he's, yeah, I do he's too. Yeah, to yeah, I do too. Um, you, he's like, I feel like he's a little bit like the Joker in The Dark Knight, where yeah. like if he got what he was going for, like he wouldn't know what to do with no, it. No, right. Like the dog chasing its own tail or whatever yep. the, the analogy is. Yep. Like, I don't know that the little finger would really be happy. Right. Because right. he just likes playing the game. Yeah, he does. He just likes, he, yep. he is just an agent of chaos. I almost feel like he puts himself in harder situations than he needs to. Just yeah, to be like, for a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he could be, he probably could have gotten onto Danny's crew or like, Still been doing stuff in King's Landing, but he's like, no, fuck it. I'm gonna go up to the north, yeah, because I'm like weirdly obsessed with Sansa, yeah, and see what kind of shit I can get into. Your sister, <laughs> he's so weird. Yeah, he's he so is weird. a weird guy. <laughs> so weird. It's Anyways, a, a really good episode. Uh, it was one of those episodes where I didn't want it to end and yeah. like wanted to watch the next one immediately. Um, so any friends of the pod who like Game of Thrones, let us know what you thought. Uh, Maester Josh, hit us up on Twitter. What do you think yep. of this episode? I saw on Twitter that you said that you have the panic button out now. It's on the desk. Last week he didn't. Ha- maybe it's just it was across like, the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, we'll I'm see. interested in what know. your thoughts Let us are. Know. Uh, maybe we have him on mid-season or at the end of the yeah, season to sure. discuss the season yeah. as yeah. it went. 
Um, you good? Yeah, yeah, let's dive in. All right. Let's do this thing. All right, ready? Three, two, one.